the life divine can be seen in many ways one of the ways that i like to see it is that it is the story of human life story of earth story of creation because it's easy for us to connect with a story but it's not the outer story as we understand but the deepest story in fact it is this story which writes the outer story of a life when we look at our life and the appearances then surely we can draw a kind of system of understanding a working philosophy all of us do that based on the surface vision sometimes when we are conditioned to a religious belief to a philosophical system we try to force fit these experiences into the belief systems we have inherited for example if we believe that if you do good good things happen if you do bad bad things happen and when we see that in real life it does not correspond to any such thing so we force fit it force fitting is maybe not this life some lives back or some such thing or that all this experience is nothing but an illusion there are various ways to force fit things and as long as it satisfies us it's okay but man is born with an incurable urge and he cannot be satisfied for a very long time in halfway homes halfway homes means compromising between opposing parties not political parties <laughs> but the parties within us parties in the world he cannot for long he seeks for harmony this is the inevitable impulse and therefore the ultimate harmony that we seek in life is a harmony between the world as we experience as we long to live and experience and the world as it presents itself on one side to our outer vision and our deepest aspirations this is the big disconnect and in that process mankind has taken different routes to explore that's what the journey of human aspiration is it has taken one extreme of going deep into matter to discover the ultimate secret the mystery key and on the other hand it has gone to the heights of the spirit seeking for some ultimate remedy to all our ills and as we know so far the ultimate remedy has yet to be found had yet to be found it is no remedy to say this illusion and therefore you withdraw into the silence of the spirit it is not a remedy it is like if you go to a doctor well sometimes i do tend to say that <laughs> and the patient says i have headache and i tell him you know in reality there is no head <laughs> there is no ache it is only you have to regard all these things as a surface phenomena of life and ultimately these things are an illusion you know you have to ultimately find the spirit now ask a man with a headache to actually sit down and meditate and find the spirit so obviously he will change the doctor so this is one recons one way so as i said there are compromises which we have or we say imagine somebody comes to a doctor with a headache and i tell him you know it's your karmas previous life you must have been a headache to someone 
and therefore in this life God is giving you a headache. Maybe he'll be satisfied for some time, but for how long? <laughs> so ultimately all these various things. So that's where Shubindu gives us the first key to the true understanding of our own life and the journey upon earth. And that key is the human aspiration. Human aspiration is the fire of the Rig Veda. It is the leader of the journey. And so long as this leader has not yet come and taken the lead, it is the Agni which always moves forward. Aga, Age. The arch for progress. And so long as it has not taken the lead, we have to do with the substitute mind. But mind is like a manager who doesn't really know much. He is somehow managing short-term appointment. And after some time, when the owner comes, the mind, the manager says, No, 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 no. I have been here for long. Now he does not want to leave. So this is the state of human beings. We have gone through a mental curve of development. And now it is time for the true Agni, the aspiration to step forth and take the lead. But the mind refuses to give. That is what the old world is about. The old world is a world organized by the mind and its ignorance. Even this is one way we try to explain things. That well, if you say it is all because of sin, so we tell people, well, why is there sin? Well, because of ignorance. So ultimately we have to raise the question, why there is ignorance? Who created ignorance? How did it come into being? What purpose did it serve if at all? So all these are questions that any awakened human thought would raise. And if it doesn't raise these questions, then, well, one can only say that uh, it's a very uncomfortable situation to be satisfied with halfway things, answers. So this is where Shurabindo gives us the first key, the human aspiration. And what is this aspiration for pure truth, unmixed bliss, for the ultimate freedom, for conscious immortality, for peace in a world which is torn with various conflicts, for bliss, for true unconditional love and all the beautiful things we can conceive of. This is the human aspiration. But we don't know how to get it and all spiritual seekers ultimately point to a beyond where there is a perfection and we can touch it, live for a moment in it, maybe breathe something of that air and with that we can pass the rest of our life. So this is the paradox. Then, in this extreme, as I said, mankind has gone to these two extremes, the ascetics denial, the refusal and the materialist denial. Because reconciling is very difficult. So we create two kinds of monism. Monism is meant by one single way, explain everything. A theory of everything. And that is the... You take up one, one thing and by that explain everything. So what does the materialist do? He says, actually, you know, there is no God. Why are you... This is all mind ka fitur. It's all madness. Matter is all. Find what you can do with matter and material life. This is given to us. So you build everything right from uh, the basic uh, revolving wheel... And then eventually skyrockets, artificial intelligence, try to make what life can be. But as we know that unless we change, life remains what it is in spite of everything. And the ascetic takes another approach. This is illusion and go beyond seeking for the spirit. So Sri takes on from there 
and what does he give us he does not give us theories and explanations there is a kind of philosophy where we make surface observations and draw conclusions from that but indian mysticism doesn't accept it truly as philosophy philosophy here in the indian context means we must first have the eyes to observe correctly if i don't make correct observation how am i going to draw any conclusion second if i have already assumed things how am i to really even apply that logic to whatever limited observation so therefore it says first we must discover the capacity to observe rightly we should be free in our thoughts so that we can receive in a vast universal intelligence the inpourings of the divine light be illumined with that and then we have to look at the same observation and we may discover absolutely another world opening before us so this is philosophy only in the sense that shurvindo had the experience he had the experience of the vast free universal intelligence free from all conditioning all speculations all stretchings of thought we know that experience when he was in baroda and he had the experience of nirvana complete stillness he also had the experience of seeing the divine everywhere and quite naturally he raised this question for us that on one side there is this divine reality so overpowering that anyone who has had this experience says there is this is concrete all this world of concreteness seems so unreal non existing as a cinema that's how he describes floating before our eyes but he also knew our state in which we live where all this appears so very concrete and that appears as unreal and therefore shobindo went ahead reconciling the two not by thought but by a yet another supreme experience that supreme experience that reconcile this lower triple world of ignorance in which we dwell mind life body and the higher triple world that we know as sachidananda is the supermind and that's how the gospel of the supermind the missing link the gap in our understanding he doesn't do it by stretching the thought though he presents it very logically but it is based on his own experience and realization because he was not satisfied simply by having the experience of the supreme divine of sachidanand the absolute he had all these experiences but he knew our side of the story and therefore he was looking for that link not just a link in understanding and conception because what with the use of saying that there is a supermind as a link and now you can understand everything about our life we want to change it we want the fulfillment of the aspiration so if supermind were only to invalidate the aspiration of life then it doesn't serve the link we are looking for but supermind is at once knowledge and will not divided as within us that's why in us we may think one thing will one thing and act in a very different way in the supermind vision and will are one reality what it sees that it creates so imagine if human beings can embody that supermind then this gap that we constantly experience between our awareness and the force of execution that would be gone and of course we will have the right understanding and the right vision and the right will so there will be no more any confusion 
or possibility of error because that is how the supermind has conceived creation. Yet, it doesn't answer one more question that if this is the nature of supermind, the creator and he has conceived creation, so how come so much error, so much evil, suffering has creeped into it? All of these and many other questions Shobindu will explain through the pages of the life divine. We have only touched upon the first nine and I'll just read a few passages from here and there before we proceed. So the life divine is the story of human aspiration and because some people ask what is the difference between life divine and Savitri. Savitri is the answer of the divine mother's grace. Both places you will see both things but here the stress is on the aspiration and its ascent through layers after layers. Whereas in Savitri is the story of the Divine Mother because these two must meet to make this earthly life, a life divine. Mere aspiration is not enough. At the same time, when the grace comes down, it also needs the support of the human aspiration and the human consciousness. Aspiration is that support. So even if the Supreme Divine comes and we ask for him, please make me a good house in White Pondy or make me a make sure that everything in my outer life is fine, it will probably do it. But that doesn't, uh, that is not the real purpose of grace. So both things, the call and the grace, and we have some magical lines throughout. And I'll just select a few. In the first chapter, the human aspiration, page 7, The will to escape from a cosmic necessity. What is this cosmic necessity? It is to reconcile world and God, spirit and matter, the highest aspiration and life as it presents itself. It's a necessity it imposes upon us time and again. And human beings are made in such a way. Somebody once, uh, you know, it's a question. I'm sure many people raise it. I used to raise it that if ultimately that is the supreme truth, why there is all this attachment, this moha, this and that? And such an attachment that it is not easy to just break free and cut off and go into the heights of the spirit. There is something we are missing. He can't be cruel that he will make all this and say, no, no, basically I made, I, there is a mistake. Somebody did it. Miss Maya came in and spoiled my work. Now you cut it and discover me. That would be absurd. So there is a reason and purpose why Purusha and Prakriti, why soul and matter have been linked. And this idea that somehow you have to find an escape, meaning thereby we want to escape from some work, some purpose that God himself has ordained upon us. So that's why he says, the will to escape from a cosmic necessity because it is arduous, Difficult to justify by immediate tangible results. Slow in regulating its operations. Must turn out eventually to have been no acceptance of the truth of nature, but a revolt against the secret, mightier will of the Great Mother. How powerful these words are like tonic. So what? Life is full of challenges. And anybody who has lived long enough looks back at life and smiles. And says, but for these challenges, I would not be where I am. 
but there is a tendency to find an easy way out. So he says that this is not what man's manhood is meant to be. It is better and more rational to accept what she will not allow us as a race to reject. She does not allow us to reject life. (laughs) Whatever we may do, wherever we may go. You keep saying this world is an illusion. When you have the eyesight problem, you go to a doctor. An illusory doctor giving an illusory specs for an illusory vision of illusory things. Rather, an illusionist must say, thank God, I cannot see. So now I am out from the illusion. (laughs) But look at nature. It hammers in so many ways. It is better and more rational to accept what she will not allow us as a race to reject and lift it from the sphere of blind instinct, obscure intuition and random aspiration into the light of reason and an instructed and consciously self-guiding will. So we must not run away from life, from world. It is an enigma, it is a paradox, it is a problem and our role is here to somehow, strangely, we are mediators in the solution. We are part of the solution. But then we have to decide whether we want to be part of the problem called the world or we want to be part of the solution called the divine. This is all that is given to us. We can add to the problem, be part of the problem and we, or we can be part of the solution. So if we want to be part of the solution, then we have to discover, know why the world is what it is, what, how it can be really made better and what is really wrong, how it can be set right and all these questions. So in this search, one we know is materialist denial and here Shobindu has some very beautiful things to say. Normally we say, oh materialism, materialist people. Uh, But materialism has done a great service to mankind. What it has done? It has chastened our intellect, purified it to an extent that I hope so, that we don't start believing in everything that comes on WhatsApp and circulating it. Sometimes even mother's quote. Quotes, misquotes, half quotes, contextual quote, everything. So when you ask people, where did you get to know this great secret that by doing your, uh, hitting your hand ten times, you will recover from all your adhi vyadhi. So, very renowned doctor. Which is the doctor? You don't know. But it came on the WhatsApp. And you know, if the doctor has a white skin or a whatever skin, <laughs> speaks good English, then so much more. So this is where materialist denial is so important. Our intellect, unchastened intellect, when it enters into these territories, it may well mistake all kinds of promptings to be the divine prompting. And that's what we see happening in a certain context. That people have first experience of awakening and they think it is the ultimate awakening. They have a little onrush of something beautiful and they think that's it, I got it. So it is, that's why materialism has helped us to purify the intellect. How does it help? Because it doesn't go immediately by immediate appearances, by hearsay, all kinds of things. It must apply itself thoroughly, rigorously. And ultimately the test is that things must manifest here in matter. That's what the ultimate, the problem of intellect is. That alright, I have an inner experience, very fine. But it has not brought a change either within me or in the world. 
That's why Shubhinder says, the crux of yoga is a change of consciousness. If, if it doesn't change, then I may have very fine experiences in the inner being. And if outer life remains what it is, so intellect has done this service. And therefore he says, But first it is well that we should recognize the enormous, we are on page 13, the indispensable utility of the very brief period of rationalistic materialism through which humanity has been passing. Very brief period because if you see Voltaire that in France it started that extreme reason before that there was an admittance of religion and other things. But there was an extreme rationalistic materialism which lastly actually if you see 200 maybe 300 years if you take the history of earth it's a very brief period for that vast field of evidence and experience which now begins to reopen its gates to us prophetic it's not no more about us these experiences are going to open their doors to mankind they are going to enter into our consciousness somewhere the gates have been opened and we see this all of us I see this in children, these kind of experiences which they don't know what to make out of it. And if their parents are too sensible, of course, they say, don't, don't, go study, marks are important, so on and so forth. So this is how this, this, they are going to open the gates. For that vast field of evidence and experience which now begins to reopen its gates to us, they were opened, they got shut, can only be safely entered when the intellect has been Severely trained to a clear austerity, seized on by unripe minds, it lends itself to the most perilous distortions and misleading imaginations, and actually in the past encrusted a real nucleus of truth with such an accretion of perverting superstitions and irrationalizing dogmas that all advance in true knowledge was rendered impossible. We should be very careful in trying to explain and justify every kind of superstition. Dogma is right, 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 right because it has been handed over to us. Many things had their utility at a point of time. For instance, women, when they are having periods, they should not enter the temple. It was a rule of hygiene. Don't try to make all kinds of things about it and you know. Now, we have better ways. So, there are so many things. And we can try justify it. And then what happens? We stop advancing because we have, we have explained everything. So that is where he is trying to caution us. A severe austerity of the intellect. which would want to understand in a proper way that why things are the way they are. So that's austerity. Material knowledge does bring. Anybody who has been trained through the scientific method. And I think it's a very good thing that it one does not simply just believe based on appearances because one of the things you learn so he says that we have to uh, develop it so various superstitions dogmas have been born many things which were valid in maybe in uh, century 400 AD or 600 AD in some desert land you still keep on doing it what is happening now because you are forcibly justifying it. Whereas you would be much better off if you throw away those things and discover the core. The core may be spiritual but it has got encrusted. And therefore Sri is cautioning us.
And the last thing about materialism is that any materialist, rationalistic materialism, its last word is agnosticism. So anybody who has tried to logically pursue truth, like Indra in Kain Upanishad, if you pursue to the logical end, you will end up saying, I don't know whether it is or it is not. That's what agnosticism is. There is an unknowable. That's how Indra reaches. He is not just ordinary mind, but the purified, free, vast intelligence, Sasraksh. And he ultimately, eternal has come in the form of a yaksha. He cannot find him until there is the divine mother who comes and says, he is the eternal. You didn't recognize him. So there is this aspect that from the intellectual point of view, if we have reached that point where we feel, well, I don't know. True agnosticism is not atheism. Atheism is certain of its lack of knowledge or lack of experience, whatever we may call it. But agnosticism is saying that I don't know. And it is true that people who have passed through a period of agnosticism, they are very ready and open to receive that higher wisdom. And that's why Sri says one of the Mahavakyas is that the unknowable, the unknown is not necessarily unknowable. There is an unknown but not necessarily unknowable. This is the great teaching of the yoga and spiritual life and that is the lead that man has pursued, the ascetic has pursued and he has pursued the world's beyond and beyond and beyond. So captivating that after seeing those worlds, after going to America, he said, what is there in India? Why should I come back? Look at it, paradise. God had plan B <laughs> to, to show what is behind the paradise and then the reverse influx. So this is how we go into the worlds beyond, dwell for some time or into even the ultimate vacuum, etc. We have still missed something important. And here he, in this chapter on the ascetic refusal, he says something very beautiful. Everything is beautiful, of course. Page 27. We seek indeed a complete reformation. Neither the affirmation of the materialist who denies the higher reality and affirms matter. It is very easy. Anybody who is bound to senses will say matter is real. Or the affirmation of the ascetic which declared this as an illusion and affirms the presence of the spirit. He says, no, we need a completer affirmation. And what is that completer affirmation? We perceive that in the Indian ascetic ideal, the great Vedantic formula one without a second, ekameva dvitiyam. So when we say one without a second, so we exclude everything else. This is how unfortunately, neti neti, there is only one. So one way of looking at that one is that all else is excluded. Ekameva dvitiyam has not been read sufficiently in the light of that other formula, equally imperative. All this is the Brahman. Sarv Khal Vidam Brahman. So both have to be seen. It's like it's not enough to say Aham Brahmasmi. You have to also say Tattvamasi. You too are Brahman. Not that I am Brahman. You are some ordinary creature. <laughs> this is dangerous. 
It is the same presence that dwells in all beings. So, we have to see these two as Brahman. In one of the passages in, in later conversation, Mother says, what was the difference? She says, in, in older spirituality, it was this or that. Of course, there was a way to connect. The way to connect was, this is a preparation for that. One was, this is an illusion, which was the way, view of the very hardcore Shankara follower, hardcore. That this is an illusion. The other is, this is a preparation. This is how Vedanta looked at it. That entire evolution is, this is a preparation for ultimately the beyond. But the mother says, in today, in the new age, in the new creation, in the new life, it will be this and that. Very interesting, we see its hint in one of the stories of Yagnaval. When he goes to King Janak in his court, the knower of Brahman will be given an award of thousand cows with gold-tipped horns. And now who will start? There are everybody claims to be knower of Brahman and they are all waiting. <laughs> who will start the question? So after a uncomfortable pause, Yagdwal gets up and he tells his disciples, please take the cows to the ashram. Now everybody is. Why? Do you think you are a more of Brahman? <laughs> Best amongst us all. And he says, see, that is for you to decide. <laughs> I need the cows. <laughs> I need the cows for my ashram. That I can say for sure. But this was his way of, you know, expressing. So then they say, no, no, you have to win us in the debate. So he says, okay. So they appoint Gargi, speaks so much about India of your Gargi. She, they say ki, as far as we are concerned, we know that she is amongst us really truly knowledgeable. If she is convinced that you are a knower of Brahman, then we will accept. And then we know that there are a series of questions and then she is convinced and says, yes, there is none greater than Yagnaval. He can have the cows and the Brahman is already his. So this aspect of reconciling heaven and earth and this is the uh, new age in which we are entering, in which all this, that is, is Brahman. Everything. Just imagine what a powerful formula. Of course, not to the appearance. Of course, it doesn't mean that we can be uh, greedy people, gather money saying this to is Brahman. That will be misusing a great truth and there is no doubt. But even though we misuse that great truth, the truth remains. We can misuse. But that doesn't mean the truth does not exist. It is there, but our human consciousness, which is not ready to perceive it, misuses it like oneness. So, through all this, Shurabindo eventually takes us to the one great experience. And that experience, that whichever door we take it, we can, cannot deny that there is a reality which is behind. We are searching for that reality. Something, what is reality? It is the real from which all other things are derived. There has to be some source, some origin. Whether we go through the material point or the spiritual standpoint, we have to discover it. And then on page 36, he takes us through different sides of the problem and experience and then he says very beautifully, some people say, yes, there is a reality, the divine reality, and what is this world? This is a dream or an illusion. 
and he answers it if then the world is a dream or an illusion or a mistake it is a dream originated and willed by the self with a capital s in its totality and not only originated and willed but supported and perpetually entertained if it is really an illusion ultimately we can understand by mistake like clouds come in front of the sun or sometimes in dream we may enter into a nightmare but it's not just one day nightmare it's a perpetual nightmare of course some people are very happy with the nightmare it's a different story altogether <laughs> they are enjoying the nightmare <laughs> but ultimately if you look at it even in the best of material conditions still it's a nightmare one day you will be a photo frame with some mala and grandchildren won't even know kiska photo hai and after some time they will remove the picture and say hamara dal do isme sometimes it turns out to be very good i received mother and shubindu signed photo like that because the parents were given this photograph obviously by mother and shubindu and one day in my village i am going to a shop and suddenly saying i was waiting for you i said what happened i call him bhaiya bhaiya he says i i have got these photographs i think you would like to have him a shop where nobody in that village knows about mother and shubindu so he shows me mother and shubindu signed photographs i said yes of course i want them i ask him how did you get it no no some people from kolkata had come so their their parents were i believe followers of uh, these uh, gurus and he died so the son took the trouble of bringing all the way my place was a place where they used to come as changers to have breathe some nice air atmosphere so they came and gave it that you remove this and put uh, our picture in this photograph a true story <laughs> and he asked them can i keep the photo because he th- thought about me that oh uh, munna goes to pondicherry he said recognize thanks <laughs> so he said okay they are of no value to him and just imagine how the presence works so there is you know behind all these so called anomalies and so he is saying that yet there is this dream which is originated in the self moreover it is a dream existing in a reality see should i call it whole thing a dream if that is a dream how are these coming of the photographs is it also a dream no <laughs> it is reality coming all the way so he says even though if we regard it as a dream it exists in a reality and the stuff of which it is made is that reality for brahman must be the material of the world as well as its base and continent so he says even at the most outer level and that's what we see in the upanishad chatushpad brahman and we read the mandukya that is the bahari that outer waking consciousness savitri is described so beautifully in book 11 where he describes the virat the outer waking brahman then the hiranyagarbha the inner the subtle brahman in all our thoughts dreams everything feelings and then the still deeper inner pragya and then the turiya the being of bliss so all this is brahman including the most outward so brahman is deep within perfect what is this then this is the manifestation in manifestation in time and space things are constantly changing becoming better and better towards some great culmination that's what he will describe it's like some people say uh, you are a soul 
Okay, fine. But does it mean my body is not, not reality? It would be absurd. I am a soul that therefore you can take away the body. On the contrary, we have to say, I am a soul and this body is given to me. It must be used by my soul. I won't allow this body to be used by anything else. So that is the sequence. The, the material world is a condition for the manifestation of the spirit. This is the reconciling truth. And in that process, it is evolving. The spirit is evolving forms, better and better forms. To be able to hold and manifest better and better. It is the condition for. And we see that even in our normal life. The child in the womb is real. Even though it is temporary. The child who is born is real. Even though temporary because he will change into adult. The adolescence, the adolescent, then the adult. But behind all this, there is a dream which is pursuing the child. Not one dream, unfortunately, dreams of parent. But ultimately the child will... It is his own dream which is there within him. That idea which throbs deep inside. Whether he will fulfill in one life or not, meet through challenges is a different story altogether. So material life is the condition for manifestation of the spirit. So what is our destiny? Very simple. If this material life is a condition for manifestation of the spirit, then ultimately the destiny of the individual is, has to be aligned to that. We must be bridges to manifest the spirit in material life. So, page 41. Life exists in Brahman in order to discover Brahman in itself. And so many examples we see in everyday life. Tree exists in a, in a seed in order to discover, discover the tree in itself. The parents exist in the child, but they rediscover themselves through the child's eye. And the child rediscovered the parents within him. We see all this happening all the time. Therefore, man's importance in the world is that he gives to it that development of consciousness in which its transfiguration by perfect self-discovery becomes possible. We can change the world only to the extent that we have been able to change ourselves. If I have mud in the eyes, I will see mud in the world. And if I am seeing mud in everybody and everyone, then I should get an eye checkup done. And if I cannot see anything, then ophthalmologist probably have a cataract. Rather than say this world doesn't exist and you know, all is dark. Why? Because I am seeing dark. So, therefore, beautiful line, to fulfill God in life is man's manhood. Each of these are Mahavakyas. What is the aim of life? To fulfill God in life. I am waiting for a day when children... Already I, I meet some, some such children who have started coming, who use a similar language. What is your aim, beta? Bada ke kya banega? I want to fulfill God's will or I want to do God's work. This is what they say. I want to do God's work. Now parents are horrified, you know, startled. What is this God's work? Thankfully, God has also planted some psychiatrists to understand this. 
Otherwise imagine and they take to a psychiatrist to convince the child that the child is wrong. Whereas the real job is to convince the parent that look here, basically you are wrong. The child is right. He may not understand what he is saying. He is saying the same thing. To fulfill God in life is man's manhood. He is saying I want to do God's work. Only his language naturally is according to the development. I know children who have this kind of spontaneous aspiration. Sign of the times. That's why we should not look for the new world in parliaments and you know in the, in the meeting of wise people. The new world is being formed in children. He starts from the animal vitality. Well, that's okay. And its activities, but a divine existence is his objective. And then he says something very interesting. That when we climb from one level to another, to abandon what you have climbed from, cannot be the true thing. What he says, not to abandon the lower to itself, but to transfigure it in the light of the higher to which we have attained is true divinity of nature. So I use this often to some people who have gone from here and then they curse India. So I tell them, you know what? You have studied here, isn't it? I, yes. And it has taken you there. <laughs> Don't you see the obvious logic? <laughs> Something is there. Shouldn't you give back at least to say the least? Meaning thereby if the body is a pedestal and we have climbed, we all say that, you know, body is so important. All mystics will say, Nartan Paya, Bhat, with after great punyas you get the human body. Why? Because in this body you can realize God. Imagine, after realizing we tell him, oh, your job is over. Kick out the pot and break the pot. Is it something nice? Even to a normal human instinct it would sound very harsh, rather cruel. A pot, mother would value even a, even a handkerchief. Somebody got very good handkerchiefs for her. And mother used to use some, she had in her hand some old one which was, rafu was done over it. And said, mother you have such lovely collection of handkerchiefs. Why don't you use them? She paused for a moment. Then she said, you know what, this has served me so well. Should I just throw it away? So this tendency to abandon, the real thing is that you need to return. Yes, temporarily you can discover something more beautiful. But instead of abandoning, to carry things together to the ultimate height, that is what we are here for. And of course there are many things even about that there is no individual, but all that we will see as we go by. And then we read this chapter, Man in the Universe. So here, Shobinda says, universe and individual are necessary to each other. Universe is a gymnasium. It's a school for our training and the individual's growth. This one part. But just as when an individual goes out of a school, he may come back and enrich it. He may bring new knowledge. He may bring uh, wealth. He may bring new ideas. So both are needed for each other. When we are in ignorance, then we depend on the universe to give us the experience needed for a growth. When we grow, we must equally 
enrich this universe make it better world even at least our little universe so again something very beautiful the animal page 51 the animal is satisfied with a modicum of necessity the gods are content with their splendors but man cannot rest permanently until he reaches some highest good he is the greatest of living beings because he is the most discontented because he feels most the pressure of limitations he alone perhaps is capable of being seized by the divine frenzy for a remote ideal so now we understand when the universe presses us from all side it means it wants us to grow wings that's the story of king satyavrat see the fish bowl fish in the fish bowl so how it needs more space 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 until it wants to go back to the sea the source from where it has come and when it is ready it goes back to the sea then the world is ready for a new life and a new creation so that is the story we start like a fish in the fish bowl but as we grow more and more we need more space more till everything is insufficient but even when we have explored we have come to the source should we just merge into it the story doesn't end with the fish going to the sea that's what we keep saying go back to the source it says now we'll go for a new creation the first avatar story is the story of the new creation in in the sixth cycle and the his name the king's name itself satyavrat one who lives by truth is taken up into the new creation all the rest drops in a pralaya in pralaya not everything is destroyed he goes and then what happens to this king who was a man human being he is made the king of humanity in the next cycle so chakshusha manu becomes shraddha dev the seventh cycle so he is the one those who lived by truth they guide they become the now who are going to steer this seventh creation and as we know mother has said that seventh creation is a creation which will not be subject to dissolution but that we'll see later the ego and the duality but we don't see all these things we don't understand all these things because we live in a very limited surface consciousness we see things with the lens of the ego and therefore the first thing necessary is to come out of that if you really want to know and he just gives a little hint states of consciousness there are in which death is only a change in immortal life pain a violent back wash of the waters of universal delight limitation a turning of the infinite upon itself evil a circling of the good around its own perfection so this is page 57 very powerful that in the ego we don't perceive it like that we see good and evil we see limitation and freedom we see joy and sorrow but we can we see life and death but there are states of consciousness when we are freed from the clutch of the ego we'll see there is no death in fact but only a changing of our robes to wait in wedding garments at the eternal gate we see that pain is nothing but the backwash of delight and actually in real life why do we feel pain because something has obstructed the free flow of joy which we all inherit of course joy is not delight but at least there is a joy of life the moment you obstruct it in any which way it gives pain backwash of the waters of delight 
Delight is the real thing that sustains us. But pain comes because something obstructed. So all this we can experience and then finally how did the Vedantic seers discover and Shubhinda says that well one way is limited observation through limited senses, limited application of reason. But what did the Vedantic seers do? They said but all this is limited. Can I expand my senses and see better, hear better? So they worked toward that. So they discovered subtle senses through which they saw the world better and the worlds, not just world. And they upgraded their mental software into intuitive cognition, inspiration, revelation. So they could get at the heart of truth. So one is intuitively, second by the application of pure reason. Pure reason looks behind appearances. Through this dual faculty of pure reason, discernment, and by awakening of intuition, the expansion of the senses, they arrived at the knowledge. So this is the way that they followed with reason and intuition. And finally, the last chapter we had read was the pure existent. Now, Shobindra is describing us the building blocks of creation. And he starts from Satchidanand. Satchidanand is a triune reality or a fourfold if you want to put it. Sat, true existence. Chit, consciousness. But consciousness implies force as we will see subsequently. So, Chit Tapas and Ananda. And we have the four great gods corresponding to that. Sat, Brahma, infinite existence. Not Brahma of the Puranas, but Brahma in his origin. Chit, infinite consciousness, Vishnu. Tapas, infinite force, Shiva. Ananda, infinite Ananda or Krishna. So in their origin, these are the four great godheads. And then this whole story comes of Sachidanand, this reality. And then through various ways of looking into time and space, Shurabindu takes us to this pure existence. And last time we had even I remember done a few minutes of even an exercise that how it's not difficult to feel this pure existence. Even by simply stepping back and not stepping back and looking at form but for instance when we say I am and if we really concentrate on what is this I which is actually it is not so difficult and one can touch something some glimpse of that pure existence. This is that story of Paul Brunton. He had come here also. He did, uh, forgetting the name of the book, In Search of Mystic India. Anyways, uh, so he went to various places. He had come here also, but mother asked him not to write anything. <laughs> he took blessings and went. <laughs> this is a very interesting interchange he had. But he wrote about some other places. So he went to Raman Ashram. So there he was sitting with Raman Maharishi. And he would, uh, he was having this question in his mind. Uh, who am I? Because he has asked everybody to meditate on this. Who am I? So suddenly a question comes to him. Who are you? And then suddenly he sees Raman Maharishi vanish. He was not there anymore. For that moment he vanished. So you see, this is one of the things, it's a very powerful method. Of course, uh, 
it's easy at one level very difficult but as far as self discovery is concerned not that it will reconcile this world because after that i will come back to this i which is of course that experience will have a great impact but there is a pure existent and he says that but there is a supreme experience and supreme intuition by which we go back behind our surface self and find that this becoming change succession are only a mode of a being and that there is that in us which is not involved at which is not involved at all in the becoming so by stepping back behind the becoming flow and flux of life it's a very interesting thing it's very good actually practice uh, nowadays and even come in modern psychiatry mindfulness and various thing but the simplest thing is that when we are besieged with any difficulty trouble just to step back behind all these appearances look through boundless time boundless space and endless time contemplate how many lives we have left behind how many we are traveling further go beyond the little limited uh, odisha and gujarat and bengal and india and earth and in that boundlessness of space and then if we really go one step further where is all this expanding into what is the origin of time where it is taking then there will be two consequences one you will discover something of that reality behind and two people will call you mad thank you so we'll we'll come back after the break and continue now from the previous song